0: This is the Jeff show that we're talking on right now here. Copy that last one. And we're all set. We can go. We can go, go, go post in there. Last one. Boy, is this annoying. Okay. We are, we are official. Okay. What a statement to make that was, uh, what is the statement? <laughs> what is the statement that I'm even talking about? Here's my statement. Ready? Here's the thesis. Scream three is how I would have ended Star Wars. Um, I'm not, you know, the, the the final three movies are kind of flawed. Uh, the ending of the end of episode nine works really well. Um, but I think that if you're going to tell this long, arching, gaping story, uh, you need... There needs to be closure at the end of the story. I have to feel some sense of of closure and freedom from the the um, the chains of needing to know what is happening, what is going down in said story, and that is difficult. Um, especially when you know you you take off in this big jumbo plane, you got to land the plane. You can't just crash and burn, you know, like so many things do. Look at Game of Thrones. I think the final scene in the very last episode of the last season is a good, was a good place to end on for something like game of Thrones. Cause how do you really end anything like that? But I mean that, that last season was just a nightmare. It was a nightmare season. It will always be viewed as a nightmare season. Here's the thing too. You're, if you're telling this big, long story, like many movies, many episodes, many seasons, um, your whole story could be the best story in the world. You could tell this incredible thing, but if it doesn't end right, it's never going to be remembered as this great thing, or its memory is always going to be tarnished by the fact that it, you know, that it bombed, that that the, the thing bombed with the ending. Um, And that's how a lot of people feel about, I mean, Star Wars has multiple endings, if you think about it, The the whole trilogy, the final trilogy, the the new sequel trilogy that came out, that is the ending itself. That trilogy is the ending. And then episode nine is an ending. It's not only an ending to the final trilogy, but it's also an ending to uh, all nine films. Uh, And then the final scene of episode nine, that's the ending of not only just episode nine, but the ending of the sequel trilogy and the ending of all of Star Wars, all nine episodes that last scene, which I thought was done very well. I was happy with that, but overall it didn't leave me the fit. As I said, I need to walk away with complete closure. The episode, I don't know. I don't think episode nine necessarily left me with complete closure, but that, that scene did leave me with complete closure. And for that it works. Um, And then, you know, nine episodes of anything. I mean, that is a stretch. You, let, let's pull it back a bit. You know, let's let, let's just pull it back and bring it to three movies Uh, in particular, the scream movies, three screams. Um, I wrote something. I, I, you know, every year I do 31 days, a Halloween watching, I watch 31 movies in 31 days, which then grew to watching as many movies as I can in 31 days. My record was 50 this year. I did 61. Um, which is just unheralded. I've never done 61 movies in a month. As a matter of fact, so much so that I've pretty much not watched any movies in November, if you could believe it. I just sort of burnt out from watching too many movies, I guess, I don't know. I just can't make it through another movie. <laughs> um, I hope that changes soon. But I rewatched scream. I hadn't seen scream for a long time. My Alamo, my local Alamo was supposed to do a scream scream screamathon. We were going to have all three screams at the Alamo draft house. And I was really excited for that. Obviously COVID happened and that destroyed everything. And um, that didn't go down. So I was like, you know, what? it's time to crack this Blu-ray box set that I had bought a while back. I was even like, man, I can't watch these Blu-rays because they're going to play it at the Alamo. I might as well just wait for the Alamo screening. Alamo screening doesn't happen. I go, all right, time to, time to launch into these Blu-rays. So I crack it open. And you know, it's funny, it was $10 for the set. And the reason why it was $10 for the set is because at the time, Scream 4 had not come out yet or Scream 4 was about to come out. They put the three movies together without Scream 4, which I didn't realize at the time when I bought it, I thought I was buying all four movies. I only bought three movies. And you know what? In hindsight, I'm glad I did. Truly, I'm glad that I only bought three Scream movies because to me, Scream really ends with the third one. We don't need any more screams. Enough screaming. It's done. You don't need it. At least you don't need the story of Sidney Prescott after Scream Three. If you want to continue Scream, you need to do it without Sidney. And yet, at the same time, Sidney is so enmeshed in Scream, and and we'll get to that in what I'm going to read to you now. Um, but there's a good reason for that. I'll I'll elaborate. I don't want to I don't want to spoil it before we get there. Um, but I will say that, you know, I love Scream. S- Sydney Prescott is Nev Campbell. Sydney Prescott, she is my forever love. Okay, she is to me. She's everything in in a in a heroine um, fighting against evil, I guess, or fighting to live, fighting to defeat. Um, she's the ultimate final girl to me, more so than Laurie Strode, more so than anybody. She is my Laurie Strode. I'm going to read that in the thing too. She's the best, man. She's the best that ever was. She's the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Uh, And she's also the most interesting character. You know what I mean? She's also the most interesting um, final girl character. She has pathos, unlike all the other characters. And that's why I I find her to be so interesting. And she has an arc. She actually has an arc through the Scream movies. There's not, it's not just a cookie cutter, one thing after another. I know it may seem like that on the surface, but it's so much deeper than that. And, you know, it's hard to compare something like Scream to Star Wars because, you know, Star Wars is this epic space saga and Scream is a very singular story really based on one person, Sydney, which I guess is an easier story to tell in the same way that, how could anybody land game of thrones with all those open thread points they did i mean they did pretty well all things considered but there were so many there were so many ways that they could have uh taken it and they simply chose not to and just a bummer sucks um all right enough of the preamble i don't know how long i got before my daughter wakes up my wife is teaching from home today cuz i like i said i had a covid test Nobody went to school. My son didn't go to school. Uh, I don't know how long I'm going to get through. I don't know if I'm going to get through this whole thing. I'm going to try. So let's do it. Let's launch into it now. So here's what I'm going to read to you. So I wrote this. So going back to the 31 days, part of doing the 31 days is logging each movie and writing a little something about it. It's just something I do. It's a tradition. It helps me feel the holiday of Halloween, which really begins at the beginning of October. It doesn't begin on you know the last week of October for me. I My decorations go up September 1st and the movie watching starts October first, um, and sometimes when I'm writing, because here's the thing, I can I can write as much as I can talk, and you know how I can talk talk a mother effer, I can talk talk talk. Um, sometimes I, when I feel really inspired and I feel the passion, I can write really truly write. And, um, uh, an idea, a kernel of something, it goes from what well, can go from a simple Facebook status could turn into a Facebook post, which can then turn into its own essay. And that's, what's happened here today. And, um, I'm going, you know, I submitted this essay to a couple websites and I was thinking about putting it up on my blog and I thought, you know, let me do something a little different. I'm going to go on the Jeff show and I'm going to, um, read it and talk about it as I read it. And that will be my meditation and i've got a nice clickbaity title scream 3 is how i would have ended star wars which will make a lot of people mad i would assume uh, and i'm just going to go into this let's let's launch into it and I'll, i i maybe i'll break uh, and explain myself as i read the writing um, i don't know if that's good so this is my revisiting scream 3 essay that i have now titled scream 3 is how i would uh, <laughs> how i would have ended star wars um, I finished it on October 30th of this year. I say this a lot, but it needs to be said here as well. Scream was my Halloween growing up. Sydney Prescott was my Lori Strode. And Nev Campbell was my forever love. And though I will watch any installment that comes our way, and that's true, I will watch any Scream movie that comes out because I love Scream and I love Nev Campbell and I love Sydney Prescott. Even if they're gonna destroy the character or hurt the character or whatever, I'll still watch it. You know why? Because I love I love that world. I love that. I love those characters. They're, it's like friends. It's like Scooby-Doo friends. It's like a Scooby-Doo friends slasher in the nineties. I don't know. I it jumpstarted its own genre, you know, when you think about it. Um, and though I will watch any installment that comes our way, I think scream was always meant to be nothing but a trilogy about a final girl and a genius statement on the pop culture of horror films. Uh, in order to retain their brilliance, these films cannot overstay their welcome. Like anything, like any good story, it cannot overstay the welcome. Scream 4 overstays the welcome, for sure. Even if there is more to say about the genre, Scream and its two sequels pretty much covered it all. True. I mean, yes, they the, the, the opening to Scream 4 is brilliant. I love the opening to Scream 4. It's fun, but it works as like a, a five minute YouTube video that is like, a, you know how sometimes like they'll do supplemental like, you know, uh, Macaulay Culkin will revisit Home Alone as an adult or something. It's like that's all you need it to be. This doesn't need its own film you know it doesn't deserve the commentary doesn't necessarily deserve its own film i don't know maybe maybe actually i think they did have more to say but um so i'll always think of it as just three movies especially because of the immaculate final scene you can't beat it so here i am talking about the final scene the immaculate final scene of scream 3 which i love 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 and uh we will. I guess I will have to pull that up as well, though I don't want to get copyright uh, hit for it. Um, but whatever, I'll I'll find it if I can, and uh, upload that. Uh, just like how we never understood Courtney Cox's bangs, and yes, we 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 can make endless jokes about the bangs uh, in Scream Three. Uh, I will never understand why the third. Film gets a bad rap in the first place, especially in light of the fourth entry. That's what baffles my mind. A lot of people have their their scream entries. I, You know, you can you, can, you there's screams. Here we go. I found it, but I'm not going to. All right, we'll, we'll leave it. We we have it. We have it. But I'm not going to post it. It's on my, I Sometimes I do Instagram videos of scenes from films that I really like and then post into Instagram. So I took that part. So it's there. We can look at it. We won't, we won't play the sound. Um, yeah, I just I I some people have like these scream, like they're, they're they're placings for scream, and it's like one, four, three, uh, one, four, two, three, or one, two, four, three. Like three is always in last, and I just don't get that. Four should be in last. It goes in the order. One, two, three, four. That's my order. The first scream is the best. Scream 2 is the second best. Scream 3 is the third best and Scream 4 is in fourth place. Uh or you you, you don't have to call it the third best uh Scream 3 the third best because it's not really I don't know if it's best by those by those standards but Scream 2 is brilliant. There's a lot of brilliant stuff going on Scream 2 which I will explain uh, as we talk. Um so I just I don't get it why does Scream 3 get such a bad rap? I don't get it, especially after what we got in Scream 4. The meta writing still works, especially with the third wheel rivalry dynamic between Parker Posey and our lowest lane of the nineties, Gail Weathers, because that's who Courtney Cox is. She is channeling Lois Lane, but for, uh, you know, a nineties, a a nineties, um, news anchor reporter lady person. Um, and I loved the rivalry dynamic between Parker Posey and, uh, gail weathers uh courtney cox which i i didn't pick up on i mean they do the same thing in the fourth entry with the deputy um with the deputy dewey character who's now this uh girl who's in love with dewey kind of although it's not really spoken and there's speculation that in scream five she's going to be married to dewey and gail and dewey will be divorced as the scream movies kind of mimic what happens to courtney cox and david arquette in real life from falling in love to getting married and then perhaps getting separated So who knows we'll, We will see how they how they choose to uh, Play that out Putty from Seinfeld He calls uh, David Arquette He refers to Dewey as Dewdrop That's so great, it's so cute uh, There are tons of fun cameos You get Linda Blair Roger Corman makes a cameo You get Jay and Silent Bob doing a cameo um, uh, they are just a tons of, of quirky Fun cameos uh, Randy even finds a way to make an appearance and set up the rules for the final film. You know, a lot of people groan at Randy returning, but I mean, come on, is it not beyond the realm of possibility that Randy would make such a ridiculous tape? I've heard that there's over two hours of like ad-libbing that he did as Randy for that very, very small, what is he, he's on screen for like a minute or two. um, And it really does sort of bring back the whole meta- It's like a meta meta thing. They're literally being explained the rules by a dead guy from beyond the grave. They're being explained the rules for the third third movie in a trilogy. So there's somehow that universe, the physics of that universe operate by those rules, even though it's the real world. And that's what's so kind of like crazy, quirky, interesting, yada, 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 using lots of descriptors that don't really fit the, the, the shoe, but trying to keep talking as I talk. Um, however, there was a missed opportunity to have Dion Richmond absorb Randy's place through his movie in the movie Randy esque stab three characters. So Black Dude uh becomes the new Randy in the stab, the movie within the movie. And that's the thing about the Scream sequels that are so great. How do you how do you top? How do you continue on and make things more interesting in the sequel to something like Scream, which is like already self-aware and making fun of the genre? you turn that film into a movie within the movie and call it Stab. And then how do you go another level on top of that? You skip the movie. You skip Stab 2. So we're not going to repeat ourselves by going, oh, Stab 2. We're actually making a prequel called Stab 3 Return to Woodsboro in LA. We're going to have these characters. Be We're going to have characters. So it's like Parker Posey is playing an actress who's playing gail weathers who is also sort of a thing with dewey who is also played by it just it it just really oh my god it's just there are so many dimensions to it that make it so fun i don't why do people hate that i get it the original scream Theory was a very interesting idea uh which eventually got turned into a show called the following um with kevin bacon it was a tv series and that was basically um there were a bunch of like fans of stab who all conspired against sydney and it was a reveal at the end they all are dead all over the the house the mansion and they all stand up at the same time and it, it the idea is terrifying it's absolutely terrifying and it would have worked really well and, and it, it didn't go that way they went this way um and for that i think they are no less worse off i think they i think it works um yeah it's you know, got it's not it's rough around the edges in certain in certain places. You know, I didn't realize this. Nev Campbell like kind of was like, uh, I don't really want to do a third one, but I will. Can I do it if I only shoot three weeks? So she only shot three weeks on the movie, and you know, I never really noticed it until I was reading about it, but she's really not as in the movie as much. She, but here's the thing: here's why that's okay, because she shows up when it really matters, she shows up when it really matters and when it really has impact, especially at the end, and that's why. That works for me, especially because Sydney at this point is kind of in hiding. I mean, there's two other leads, uh, or or you know co-leads or you know backup leads, which are you know uh, Dewey and and Gale, and and they kind of uh, help pick up some of the slack. And it works. It works for me, for sure. It works for me. Um. So so I so to, but to go back to the Randy thing, that yeah, they had this guy. So they have Randy show up on the tape. Great. There's also this guy Dion who plays Ran- who takes over Randy's place, and you know he gets killed in the movie, and it's just kind of like I kind of like boo that because like why kill off this this first of all isn't it such a cliche to kill off the black guy which is like what you know the the movie made fun of in the previous they literally made fun of the very thing that they do in the third movie and Scream is supposed to be better than that or at least it's supposed to be winking at you when it does it and that's not happening in either uh, either or in Scream three they just he just dies because he needs to die. Why not make him live? Why not have him embrace the randiness of who he's trying to uh, be in, in stab three, and have that help him to survive the movie? That would have been that was a missed opportunity, in my opinion. Uh, also, who cares if it's dripping in Scooby Doo? That's a huge complaint that that this movie feels like Scooby Doo. But they all have a Scooby Doo aspect to them, and the Scooby Doo aspect to them is the same as um, a term uh, giallo as a matter of fact let's look it up giallo let's see what comes up here giallo all right so giallo is an italian term uh, uh, designating mystery fiction the word giallo is uh, italian for yellow The term derives from a series of cheap paperback mystery novels with yellow covers that were popular in Italy in the context of 20th century literature and film, especially amongst English speakers and non-Italian, not Italians in general. Giallo refers specifically to a particular Italian thriller horror genre that has a mystery or a detective elements and often contains a slasher, criminal fiction, psychological thriller, psychological horror, sexploitation exploitation, psychedelic and less frequent supernatural horror elements. I think and that is what that is a huge trope for scream, right? So people are confusing some of the it's like it's like giallo for children or Scooby Doo. Scooby Doo is giallo for children in the sense sets up a mystery with a with a horrific element or a spooky or scary element and you got to figure out who who who's done it and in giallo there's usually a, a killer with black gloves. But in the Scream movies, it's a killer with black hunting boots, right? You always see the black hunting boots, and you're like, oh, that's the killer. So um, I, they they sort of straddle the same, you know, there's like a Venn diagram where they overlap in that kind of way. And people so people think that it's kind of like Giallo. And I say, who cares if it's dripping with Scooby-Doo? They all have that element to varying degrees. In my previous musings on the first film, I had done a, a write-up on the first film, I realized that I may have been overreaching by using the term giallo-esque to describe Scream and most of the other 90s teen slashers because that's the thing I was saying that and I don't think I'm overreaching I think it makes sense especially when you read that definition um all the 90s teen slashers that came after Scream starting in 96 really you have you have it's it's like a mixture of giallo uh 80s slasher films um you know the hot 90s you know teen heartthrobs of the time and like meta self-aware writing those are all the things the, the 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 tropes that make up this period from 96 to 2002 maybe 2001 2002 where you're getting all that kind of stuff um perhaps it really is just a spoonful of Scooby-Doo's Who's behind the mask that makes this rated R series feel like a warm, fuzzy blanket that I want to wrap myself up in and enjoy some pure escapist fun? Because that's what Scream is to me. It's pure escapist fun. It's a comfort food. It's a warm, fuzzy blanket that I like to wrap myself up in, and um, that it just it just works. Um, with everything that has happened, Sydney takes on a fake identity and hides away from the world. It is the only way she can escape from the Cassandrian, more on this later, prophecy. So Cassandra is a, a Greek tragedy, which we'll talk about, which ties into Scream 2. I kind of tricked you with the Star Wars stuff. I mean, it kind of, I'll, I'll I'll tie that up at the end. You'll see. Um, uh, pfft, the only way that she can escape from the Cassandrian prophecy uh, that has cursed her, it is the only way that she can escape from the Cassandrian prophecy prophecy that has cursed her life if she hides alone then she doesn't have to lose the people that she loves she doesn't have to warn anyone who gets too close when they're inevitable oh that's like yeah never mind uh their inevitable fate will be sydney evening that sydney even finds meaning and purpose in this exile she is a work at home call line grief crisis counselor who helps other women with their trauma it is noble work that probably has some therapeutic effect for herself but even though she can't keep the world at bay she doesn't account for the ghosts in the deep recesses of her own mind the biggest one looming being her mother and when cotton dies cotton dies the beginning spoilers Uh, the ghost of Maureen Prescott bubbles to the surface up until this point, there have been no surreal elements in the series and it totally works. Right. I mean, there's no, there is no, there's no dreams. There's nothing like surreal. There's nothing um, sort of like psychedelic or anything like that. It's just straight. Someone is killing teens and we're trying to get to the bottom of this. And, um, and this one kind of jumps the shark really, but it's the, the cap of the trilogy. And it's Wes Craven trying to do things that he hasn't done before. It jumps the shark. And here we have this like uh, we, we have a ghost. We have a ghost, but it's a ghost of the psych of the psych of the psyche. It's a psychological ghost. So it is a ghost story. And that's what's cool about Scream 3. It's a ghost story. It's a ghost story of Maureen Prescott's unfinished business. And the ghost comes to us through Sydney's mind and through Sydney's dreams. Uh, which is very uh, apropos for the guy who brought us Freddy Krueger and a nightmare in Elm Street. Um, up until this point, there have been no surreal elements in the series, and it totally works. Instead of giving us a routine flashback, which I also have no problem with, we are treated to the haunted dreams, hallucinations, right? Hallucinations, even uh, uh, of sorts from the guy who brought us to Elm Street. It brings the the Ned Stark that we've only heard or seen in photos of it uh, uh, into an inescapable forefront the i wrote that wrong it brings the ned stark that we have only heard or seen in photos of into uh it's a yucky sentence in photos of into the inescapable forefront so yeah so going back to game of thrones ned stark we only we only get him for nine episodes but we see him he is his presence is felt throughout the entire series um, for years more, we, we we Ned Stark comes up in conversation, and it's almost like if if Scream was like a Game of Thrones. Th- there's all this stuff that happens before Scream. There's a whole there's a whole movie there. There's a whole prequel. There's a whole saga that happens before we even get to the first scream and that is the death of Maureen Prescott and everything that Billy and Stu do. And even before that, everything that happens with Roman, as we'll talk about a little bit later, um, kind of like doing exactly what episode nine did in, in, in retrospect. Um, So, yeah, so it brings the Ned Stark to the forefront of it all. And it's like we start the movies. It's like, you know what it's like? It's almost like Maureen Prescott and the Ned Stark analogy. It's almost as if we started Scream or it'd be like if Game of Thrones started in season two or season three and everything else. So everybody refers to Ned Stark, but we don't know. we, We never see him and we never see any. We never see him do anything. And that's what Marines... And then all of a sudden, Ned Stark becomes a ghost, that a reoccurring ghost later on in Game of Thrones. It, that's kind of what happens in Scream 3. Um, touching again on the meta aspects, I love how the stab element is not only reused, but they jump a sequel and make it about returning to Woodsboro where it all began, because that's where, you know, as they talk about in the, in the the rules for the, the, the trilogy and, and whatnot, they talk about returning to the beginning or where it all began, which is, I guess, where you want to go when you go on a long journey, a long journey sometimes can return to the beginning after so much has happened and brings things full circle. And once you go full circle, you can have the catharsis you need and move on or end things or whatever. And so bringing it back to Woodsboro, in a sense, through the the sets is kind of an interesting uh, story element. It allows Sydney to come home without thinking that she actually has. Sydney has always been locked into fate, it seems. She is confronted with this overwhelming realization when she visits the Woodboro sets and sits in her own bedroom, listening to echoes of Billy rattle around in her head as she re- relives what ended up being one of her last moments of normalcy before it started dot 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 again and what i mean by that is it's was starting again even in scream 1 and one of the last moments that she had as a normal teenager her life would change again forevermore it changed the first time when when marine was killed but you know a year passed and she went back to her normal teenage life in high school but forevermore Her existence would be changed when Billions Do started up again a year later to finish off what they had started. And, you know, I don't think I really talk about it here. Well, here, let me get to this first. Um, And that was what uh, and that was the brilliance of Scream. It set up a whole movie's worth of events a year before the beginning which not only sets sydney off to start the series but also allows things to come full circle so that we can so that it can wrap up in a nice with a nice trilogy bow it also presents its own problems like kill bill or episodes 4 through 6 once i watch scream i have to watch part 2 and part 3 in order to take in the whole story in order to feel a sense of closure which is what i talked about once I start with Scream One, I have to watch Scream Two, and I have to watch Scream Three. I have to see Sydney's story play out all the way through to the end. I just have to do it. I have to get to that final, that final scene uh, at the end, um, which which brings me closure that Sydney is okay, that we can leave her story now because she's going to be okay because of that scene. I know it sounds crazy for a fictional character, but you know we care about these characters. We care about the stuff, this geeky, nerdy s-h-i-t you know it's ours you know uh and we love it um so uh, yeah in another great nod to the first film sydney uses her door trick uh and the killer comes through the window mirroring how she didn't realize that the killer was her boyfriend uh was under mirroring how she didn't realize that the killer her boyfriend was under her suspicious Knows as he effed with her mind the whole damn time, so that is so that is pretty cool in screen three. So once again, she does the same thing. She thinks the killer's coming through the door. She she does the door trick where she puts one door, her closet door, up against her bedroom door, and they jam together, creating this triangle barricade that doesn't allow the person in. And what happens? Roman, dressed as Ghostface, crashes through the window just in the way that 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 Billy scared the crap out of Sydney. The second time after she calls nine one one over her weird, like, proto instant messenger, like, computer service. Um, and the whole time, right under her nose, Billy was the killer. Billy, her boyfriend. Uh, and it's just the same thing. She's making the same mistakes that she did all those years later in her bedroom. Um, and it's someone that the killer turns out to be someone incredibly close to her her own half brother that she didn't realize that she had in the same way that her, the killer was her boyfriend who she was intimate with and would become more intimate with, with towards the end of the film. Um, in fact, it does seem that Billy did succeed in his goal on some level. He wanted to turn their lives into a movie, like all of the ones that he watched. And now here is Sydney in her Hollywood bedroom set as her real life story has been turned into a slasher movie franchise directed by her killer brother who put everything into motion in the first place. How does that not work? How does that not work? How do people groan at the idea of a, of of this, this element? I think it works, man. It's a retroactive element in the sense that it was written it's it's like, you know, it's it, it sort of revised history because it really started with Billy and Stew, And this sort of adds another wrinkle that kind of could make you go, uh, does that really work? I'm not really sure. It works, man. It works in the same way that, you know, um, it, it works in the same way that uh, it, it excruciatingly almost works in episode nine. It doesn't work in episode nine with with Emperor Palpatine. Palpatine would have worked in episode nine if you had brought us, you know, brought him in in episode one. You can't just throw a hardball like that in episode nine. Palpatine's supposed to be dead. In this case, it's a little bit different because it really does, the half-brother really does bring it back to the beginning, you know, and, and all that stuff. And what's interesting is there's this over there's this overarching theme that happens over and over again where where everybody just seems to project, they project all of their anger and blame onto Sydney, which is symbolic of, we're going to project our anger and frustration onto the victim. Sydney is a victim of circumstance. She's a victim. And that's not to say that she's a weak person or anything. I'm just saying she is the victim and, or she is a victim of these crimes and people project their anger and frustration. She is, Sydney takes on so much throughout this series and so many people die um, because of this miss, missense place of needing to blame Sidney Prescott. Um, it turns out that the ultimate catharsis that Sydney needs to find everlasting peace is only going to come by confronting the ghost of her mother and all of the secrets that she left behind. This includes the biggest secret of all, a half-brother via Hollywood executive gang rape assault from the time that Marine pursued an acting career. Sydney acted in college, meaning that she did follow in her mother's footsteps. And, you know, this character, Lance Hendrickson, plays like a a sleazy, sleazier version of Roger Corman, who, you know, had his casting couch. And, you know, yes. And that's the other thing, too. Screen three is starting to get a little bit of a resurgence in the sense that people are realizing that it was way ahead of the time that it literally is talking about what is actually happening in the studio. That dimension is owned by the Weinstein brothers, all that going on. I'm not going to make this video about that, but it's just interesting how the 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 foreboding was there also another tie to it another thread is 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 Rose McGowan who plays Tatum Dewey's sister who gets killed in the first movie and she, she was raped by Harvey Weinstein and now here's the third film in that series tackling what really happened in real life so i don't know that's another an, another element there um so what it really comes down to is In this way, Scream 3 is in fact not just a Scooby Slasher mystery, but it's also a ghost story, a Scooby Slasher ghost mystery, if you will, Um, which is what I kind of talked about. Um, The series and all of its villains and conflicts, uh, they are, uh, the series and all of its villains and the conflicts they bring are centered around shame uh, uh, or centered on shame around sex, Sexual crimes, sexual pro- promiscuity And infidelity, good or bad So whether the, the infidelity good or b- Is good or bad Everything, all of the, the Hate, all, and this is like the legacy Of the 80s slashers, if you have sex You get killed Which is what Randy sets up for us in the very first film Starts off with the You know, Halloween series and, and beyond Um, But yes All of the, the villains and their conflicts Everything is centered around the shame Shame about sex and you know um you know a woman stepping outside of her marriage and having uh extramarital affairs and you know being assaulted and raped and all this stuff and then it's like everybody blames her so everybody blames this woman uh for either being sexual or being raped uh and that's just kind of that's saying a whole nother level of things about the scream movies and what's going on in scream um, and then here's the thing about Billy. Billy is Billy is obviously a combination of a lot of things. Mainly, he is Norman Bates, Anthony Perkins, you know, in Psycho, who we quotes when he's talking about the uh, we all go a little mad sometimes, um, you know, his relationship with his mother, uh, his relationship with his mother his relationship with his mother around issues of sex, which I'm going to talk about right now. It begins in the first film with Billy punishing Sydney because she has never given him the one thing that he wants. The one thing that Sydney's mother, Maureen Prescott, gave freely to Billy's father, causing his own mother, Mrs. Loomis, to leave. Sex. What a Freudian pretzel that is. And he can't feel complete or perhaps have any closure until she puts out, for his incel ass, thus allowing her to break the golden rule of horror movie virginity and die. And as it turns out, Sydney's secret long-lost brother, Emperor Palpatine, this whole thing. And it works for me. What can I say? Just to touch back on the Billy Loomis thing, because I talk about this really in the first, that first Scream movie I, I sort of talk about in this write-up. So Billy is really psychotic. Not only does he rape and kill his mother the 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 mother of his girlfriend but he then projects all of the feelings about all that stuff with his mother and marine and yada 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 onto sydney whom he's trying to have a sexual relationship with so you have you have issues of of intimacy with significant others probably mixed up with issues of intimacy Um, from mothers and you know and and how it how it relates to his father is so mangled and then what does he do he starts killing people around sydney to freak her out he's ready to kill her dad he's already killed her mom um and makes her uh uh, almost gets caught doing it because here's the other thing these guys are sloppy and it's scary it's so scary how sloppy the ghostface killers are they all are they're all sloppy in some way. I'd say Roman is probably the least sloppiest, but they get, you know, they trip over stuff. They get hit with doors. You know, they, they, they get hit with beer bottles. They're, they are not the stealthy Jason, Michael, Freddie like killers that they're trying to emulate from the eighties. They are clumsy, goofy people wearing a, 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 you know, off the, off the rack Halloween costume, you know, which is what makes Ghostface So scary. I don't know if I'm gonna be overlapping onto oh man, I hope I'm not. Yeah, I think I, I might be. Um, which is what makes Ghostface so scary in the sense I'm I'm paraphrasing from another thing I wrote. You have you have this moniker that really allows one person to become anonymous with a knife or whatever. You put on a mask, you can become this thing that goes out this malevolent force that can go out and murder other people. It allows you to to maybe murder and allows you to um, sort of lose yourself in the identity of really nothing of nothing of, of death. Cause that's who that's what the ghost face is based on. It's based on uh, the howling a, a generic version of father death. So people are becoming death incarnate in order to carry out these homicidal desires or these homicidal compulsions that they feel for whatever motivates them to do so and everybody's motive is slightly different or varied and um and that's and it starts with Billy and Stu these like it's just so scary man it's so real two high school kids inspired by horror movies and, a real, li- and, and a real life and and real life incident with Billy's mother to go out, um, Billy's mother and father and Maureen Prescott to go out and, um, you know, uh, commit these heinous acts and then try and frame themselves as the heroes of the story by stabbing each other. I mean, it's just nuts. It's nuts. And then he does it again. He tries to throw her off again by getting killed by Stu, uh, fake killed by Stu after he's slept with her and taken her virginity. And then only to show only to fall down the stairs and reveal that he's the killer the whole time. And, you know, yes, it's like a uh, screenwriting red herrings left and right, but it works, man. It works. That first screen film is flawless, man. It is probably my favorite slasher. One of my favorite horror films for sure. I, it just, it works on so many levels. Um, So I said, and as it turns out, Sydney's secret long-lost brother, Emperor Palpatine. So there's your Star Wars reference, Emperor Palpatine. But here's the difference between what Star Wars and that does right versus what it does wrong. Um, uh, Sydney's secret long-lost brother, Emperor Palpatine, this whole thing. And it works for me. What can I say? Uh, I don't think this takes away from any of the mechanics of the first film either. However, if you are looking uh, beyond it to a trilogy of films, if you're looking beyond the first film, it's actually like an STD. So this is what this is what I this was an epiphany to me. It's like a sexually transmitted disease. But instead of sexually transmitted disease, it's a shame transmitted disease. That's what's happening. It's a, it's a, it's a shame STD. It really starts with Maureen and the, the orgy gang rape she experiences in Hollywood. When her son comes knocking on her door, she transfers the shame around what happened to him by rejecting him in her eyes he's a lasting legacy to that piece of life that she would rather forget roman then passes the shame transmitted disease to billy with stew the impressionable sidekick uh and you know you could man there you could write such a good prequel story about the seduction of billy you know in the same way that emperor palpatine seduced anakin skywalker so too could roman seduce billy into carrying out this thing so billy is a psychotic he's unhinged and he just needs a little push because at the end of the day what is the little push his his motive is your mother your mother slept with my dad causing my mom to leave you know who puts all that into billy's head in the first place who who puts that into Billy's head and then transfixes it onto Sydney? You know what I'm saying? That's a little bit of a jump, but when you have a sibling, an unknown sibling who's probably incredibly jealous of all the love and affection that that a legitimate child gets, and again tying it into the Game of Thrones, you have the the bastard who's who's uh, resentful of the rightfully born child. It's all connected, baby. Star Wars, Game of Thrones, Scream. It's all connected. It's a scream, baby. Um here you have the bastard, you know, uh encouraging Billy to carry this stuff out. maybe because at the time Roman's not gonna do it himself or Roman wants to have this revenge. What better way to frame someone by having them commit the actual thing and then convincing them to be, you know do this in their in their in their own in their own right? It works for me, man. um so so you know roman comes knocking she transfers that shame around what happened to him by rejecting him in her eyes he's a lasting legacy to that part of her life that she'd rather forget roman then passes the shame transmitted disease to billy with Stu the impressionable sidekick and billy and billy's dad pass it along to mrs loomis it all works man so Scream becomes very plausible. All the killers and their motivations, they all become plausible through this idea of the passing of shame, kind of like an STD, but shame around sex. It totally freaking works. Uh, it's a movie-spanning chain reaction. And by the end of Scream 3, Sydney has reached the source of it all, which is her brother, her half brother, and the there is only one thing left to do, as she yells at him to just admit his killing of people is no one's fault but his own. If it started with Roman, then it must end with him too, like Beatrix Kiddo Uma Thurman in uh, Kill Bill. Sydney needs to rid herself of the past in order to have a future. She must kill Bill, her brother, and confront, accept, and excise the secrets of her mother's ghost-like unfinished business and through it all as Roman is dying, there's this touching. Well, before I get to that, let's go back to the kill Bill for a second. So you, that, that's what it is, man. That's what it is. It's, it's um, you know, that's what I love about kill bill, kill bill. The idea of killing bill is not just about getting revenge on bill. She has to kill bill because bill represents her past self bill represents the past, Beatrix. It's really a a a suicide, a suicide of one's former self. So that in order for her to become the mother that she is, she needs to kill that the killer. She needs to kill the killer that's inside of her, and that killer happens to be Bill, which lives inside of her heart. As in, he he seduced her and and stole her heart and took her heart and 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 yada yada yada. And so she, the way that she confronts that is by cutting her way through every facet of her own life old life and now sydney must do the same she must cut out this rotten piece of her that's always been there but she never knew what it was and when she does that she can be free um and uh and through it all as roman is dying dying because they don't actually kill him he doesn't actually die in that moment uh there's this touching acknowledgement of his connection to sydney in the form of holding hands as he dies so Sydney finishes him off and he's dying and they grasp each other's hands. And it's like this, it's like this silent, like, cause there's no dialogue that's going to work and, and, and work for that in that moment. It's just the silent acknowledgement of you're my brother and it's a shame we're blood and you have to go, but we're blood. And I love you because you're my blood or something like that. I don't know, even with everything that had happened, um, very interesting, very, very interesting, very touching. Um, and, you know. Um, uh, the acknowledgement um, of that connection uh, is validation. It's the validation. So when Sydney acknowledges his presence, that's the validation that Maureen Prescott, her mother, never gave to her son. That is the unfinished unfi- business of the ghost of Maureen Prescott. By embracing Roman in that moment, she is completing the sins of the mother in the sense of not, not for the sex stuff, but in the sense of rejecting her child, she embraces the child that her mother rejected, allowing him to let go, although he doesn't because he, because they ruin it in the next frame with what happens next, which really annoys me. Um, without wanting to put this weight or blame on Maureen, because what he did isn't her fault. What Roman did is should not be blamed on Maureen Prescott. Maureen Prescott may have been a hoe, but she was a hoe for her own reasons. We don't know. We don't know what her marriage was like. We don't know to to, to Sidney's father. You just don't know, you know, and she was kind of promiscuous before that for whatever reasons. Um, again, we put a lot of shame around promiscuity, um, but, you know, um, Without wanting to put this weight or blame on Maureen, because what Roman did and what Billy did isn't her fault, maybe Billy and Sydney would have ended up as, a, as married high school sweethearts. Isn't that a crazy thought to think? Like, if none of this stuff had happened, if, if, if Marine hadn't rejected Roman and sent Roman on the spiral, but, I mean, Billy was always unhinged. It just took that situation to snap him. So who knows what would have happened? But that was an interesting idea in my mind. What is a shame? Um, The ruining of the sibling embrace with the need to stay on brand with the killer might return for one last scare. We didn't need it. It was fun for the first two films. Doing it again overwrites the significance of their touching, conflicting embrace. So that's what I'm saying. By having him come back and do that whole thing about wanting to kill, you know, and then, you know, they're saying, Dewey, shoot him in the head. It just ruins it, man. It ruins what that scene right before it ruins... The final arc. So in that way, it, Star Wars, and and that you know, they kind of have that in common a little bit. Um, I also noticed something else uh, with this most recent viewing of Scream Three, although it's truly never really explored. I think it's also crazy not to deduct that Roman's father is in fact John Milton. That's the Lanx, uh, Lang, Lance Lance Henrikson character played by. Um, uh, played by Lance. <laughs> Sorry, that's the character played by uh Lance Henriksen, John Milton. He's the Roger Corman type. Uh, this is how he became a director. This is how Roman became a director. So, so this is like, and and you know, uh, John Milton probably has a, a separate family. You know, this is this is a, a a a bastard, the house of Milton, right? He's this studio executive. So, there you go. There you go with the Game of Thrones reference again. He's a studio executive. Um, uh, who 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 had uh, who had taken Ro- Roman must have been under some sort of care or ward of Milton, perhaps even outside of a marriage and family that he might have had a dirty secret that Milton kept hidden in plain sight. Another interesting element is Detective Kincaid. So this is the detective that protects Sidney um he's the closest thing to anything that could be construed as a love interest for sydney and in fact totally takes a backseat to the much more pressing and important focus of the story and sydney's character arc so here's the all right so here's the crux of the arc that happens in the overall trilogy of the screen films ready uh you got to stay with me on this in scream two sand uh sydney plays cassandra from the classical greek tragedy In her mythology, Cassandra's mythology, she is cursed to always tell the truth with no one believing her. It is the embodiment of Sidney's own prophecy that started the first film. Stay away from me or you will get badly hurt or most likely die. So stay away from me or you will get badly hurt or you will most likely die. Um, And whether it is through her boyfriend Derek's love or Randy's unrequited devotion or Dewey's sense of sibling-esque duty None of them listen to the warning and they pay the price. So Randy gets killed for not staying away. Uh, Dewey gets sliced and diced twice in, in, in two movies. He gets cut up and Derek gets shot in the chest. Um, and they all they all die or get disfigured, not disfigured, uh, disabled. It is a huge part of what must fuel her isolation in part three. It was also Wes Craven's idea and a masterstroke to make such a classical juxtaposition between Sydney and Cassandra. So I love that. So in, so in screen two, my favorite scenes, the drama scene where they're putting on the play, Cassandra Sydney is now an actress like her mother once was, or as we would find out in screen three. And she's doing the play and we see actually, I guess that is we, we don't know if that's a hallucination or not. She kind of sees ghost face in um in the faces of these tragedy masks, these Greek because ghost face kind of looks like a Greek tragedy mask. It kind of looks like the 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 drama, the drama and comedy mask. It's like the ghost faced man, that would be a good tattoo. Um, you have the comedy and the drama of 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 ghost face. And and you know, to take it one step further, then you have a scary movie with the you know what i mean so it's like you get comedy and you get dramedy drama with ghostface it's an interesting little paradigm but i love that scene with david wagner he's just he's great he's so brilliant in that and he's telling sydney that she is a survivor and that she must survive and that she must do her thing despite everything that's happening to her the resurgence of of a ghostface killer and sydney listens to her and 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 goes on with the with the play rehearsal and as they're doing the rehearsal um, a character comes down, which would later be replaced by Derek's dead body on on the cross. Uh, Derek's Derek dies in this Christ-like death. He, you know, literally dies for somebody else's sins, or dies for the, the sins of mankind in that kind of weird way. And uh, she becomes a target. And she's being uh, she's a dance, Ned Campbell's a dancer, so she does this little dance thing in, in the scene. It's great, it's really, really great. And it really sets up this idea of Cassandrian tragedy within the 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 character arc of Sydney Prescott. So I love that. Uh, going back to Kincaid, meeting Kincaid, obviously, maybe a nod to nightmare, uh, Nightmare <sighs> Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three, um, changes all of that, like Sydney. His favorite scary movie is his life as a homicidal detective. She says "She says to him, what's your favorite scary movie? Something that was once asked to her in Scream 1, and his answer is, my life. Um, he has seen his own share of death and it has left its own scars that might align with Sidney's. He also survives the final Ghostface encounter, although he almost didn't in uh, other versions of the the Uh, other endings that were shot he survives the final ghostface encounter and takes a knife to the shoulder for sydney in the process so like the way that randy takes a bullet to the shoulder so too does kincaid take a wound to his shoulder as well and i don't know i guess the difference what's the difference between why randy dies and, and kincaid lives but he does live um it galvanizes his ability to fully understand her her past trauma and any kind of future that they might be able to have together. And this was something that she and Derek, her boyfriend played by Jerry O'Connell is a great character and does this whole great number. I think I love you. He Does the, I think I love you song on the, on the tables. There's a great cover by less than Jake, the ska punk band who do 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 it for that soundtrack scream 2 has a great soundtrack. And, um, uh, yeah, they, that is something that, that Sydney and Derek struggled with, you know, uh, what, uh, her past trauma and what kind of future that they might be able to have together. And, uh, you know, the ability to fully understand her. It is my understanding that his romantic presence was purposely toned down and that there are versions where he actually dies in the third act. I love the way that they have it in the movie. Cause here's the thing, as I said, the closest thing to a romantic interest, because Kincaid is actually. Like, it's very it's so it's implied, but it's never actually said. Uh, and I like that. I like that. It's not in your face. That's not what the movie is about. And we don't need that for Sydney. Sydney doesn't need anybody. She can stand on her own. You know, so I kind of like that. That worked for me. Um, I love the way that they have it in the movie. It is left unsaid. Uh, but like Milton's connection to Roman, easily implied. So like the way that Milton is most likely Roman's father and it's implied, implied as such, it's also implied that, that she and Kincaid might wind up together, especially when he turns up with Dewey and Gale at Sydney's house in the final scene. All right, here we go. This is my favorite part and I'm gonna uh, play it for you now uh, without the sound, okay? Because we can't use sound. So you can see that, not really. Ugh so small wait let's make this a little bigger so there's sydney walking up her gate she leaves the gate open she doesn't lock the gate she doesn't put um the code in she's walking up to the house there's some a, a swelling of music it's wonderful she opens the door um she's super relaxed there's a picture of her mother on her night side. So the past is always going to be there it's sydney's life uh, Sid, we've been waiting for you We're gonna start a movie, says Kincaid What kind of movie? You'll have to come and see, says Kincaid There's Dewey and the newly engaged uh, Dewey and uh, Gail And Kincaid And he's got his arm in his slas And then the, the, the door swings open And there's a breeze, but there's no scary music And soon just looks at it And she's like, nah, I'm good Boom And she walks out, man And that's the end that's the end it so works for me man it's like the perfect ending that's the end of scream we don't need anything else that's enough that's uh that's enough that's it that's the ending you don't have to give us anything more than that okay um so and here's what I wrote about it. By far the best part of Scream 3 is the final scene. It is a result of all the transformation that Sydney undergoes through the trilogy. Just as she is going to watch a movie with her friends, an unknown wind opens the door to her house. But it's the uh, movie's physics. But the movie's physics. Because you know how like movies, as soon as something scary is going to happen, scary music comes. That's movie physics. Oh, scary music. Therefore, we should expect something scary is going to happen. We don't get that. There's nothing. It's just a breeze of wind you know what i mean um and um the movie's physics don't add any incidental score to suggest a thrilling element is coming there's no one last scare it's truly over instead there is silence as sydney knows that it is nothing but the wind and that she is free of everything that was weighing her down and imprisoning her she is okay to leave it open to the whole world That's what she was doing She was closing herself off to the world and Now she's opening it To opening herself to the world No longer does she need to lock it out Perfect It's the perfect ending That's it Um, How are people not satisfied with that? Why the hate? Why? Nothing makes me happier Than feeling such closure It's a beautiful ending For the ultimate final girl story Because that's what this is, baby it's not there's no killer. The killer is not what draws us to scream. What draws us to scream is Sydney, the final girl, and uh struggling with whoever might be trying to kill her in her life. It's a final girl story. Um, here's my afterthought. Part four because then what happened of course, I went on, I had to watch part four. It was streaming on Netflix, so I was like fuck it. I gotta it's been a while. I'm gonna watch part four. I'm gonna see what I'm I'm gonna revisit and see. Uh, how bad it truly was. I've only seen part four twice. Okay, that's how much I don't like part four. It is. I am not a fan of part part four. Matter of fact, let me see if I can pull this up. Screen four. Let's see if we can find what was written here. This this will this will tell you how much I don't like part four. If it will turn up posts posts posts. posts. here we go. Found it. Ready? Ready for this? As soon as it loads. This is my third time watching Scream 4 since it came out. Well, first, let me read this. Afterthought, part four ruins all of this by turning what should have been a Final Girl trilogy about someone surviving and then overcoming her traumas into a franchise about a killer totem that endlessly endures. No different from the movies that Scream is doing a commentary on. It's easy to ignore Scream 4 and only watch the trilogy. Uh, but knowing that there is a part five on the way inspires me to have an open mind and see where they might go with things, because as we would find out with what would what was supposed to happen with Scream 4 and what might happen with Scream 5, the story doesn't end there. And here's what I here are my thoughts on Scream 4. This is my third time watching Scream 4 since it came out. It has been a letdown every time. It was a great idea and could have been an incredible requel if the execution was better and the Weinstein tampering didn't happen. But once the credits rolled, I decided that Scream works best as a contained trilogy, um, telling the arc of the greatest final girl there ever was. Hold on, let me just pull this up here so you can see it. This is my final entry for Scream 4. Um it works best as a contained trilogy telling the arc of the greatest final girl there ever was scream for undoes all of that in less than uh, in a less than genuine way that doesn't feel epic in the least. If you're going to pass the baton, it must be to characters that have depth and dimension characters. We go to love over the course of the running time. Instead, we get superficial archetypes that have no personality. They just go through the motions of the script. Of everyone who was introduced, it is Deputy Hicks, Jill, and Kirby that almost work. So Deputy Hicks is the one that maybe maybe she'll be the love interest of Dewey in Scream Five, and she kind of like has like a rivalry that same rivalry that that Parker Posey had with Gale. Deputy Hicks has with with Gale, but they do this thing where Hicks saves Gale's life at the end, which is a really likable character trait, and I really enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, they feel tired and maybe even a little sluggish because you woke them up from their well-earned, happily ever after. That's what I'm, oh, here we go. Sadder still is Sydney Gale, and Dewey to a lesser extent. I guess, do I said, do we, to a lesser extent. They feel tired and maybe even a little sluggish because you woke them up from their well-earned, happily ever after. Nev Campbell, in particular, groans and limps through the film. This is such a bummer for me. It felt like she didn't want to be there. She was a million miles away as the character work she had developed in the last two films has evaporated and she is nothing more than a helpless victim survivor. That is not the Sydney Prescott we know and love. It just didn't work. And because of the tampering, the baton didn't get passed to Jill, which would have been a really interesting reversal for the next two films. Instead, she is killed off and our main three lead OGs just stare at each other and eh! this is Wes Craven's final film. This is how Wes Craven ends his film, cinematic legacy. Worst of all, as mentioned above, Scream 4 somewhat undoes all the stuff that goes down in Scream 3. When Sydney turns away from the door, we know that it is not over. We know that she is and her one possible chance for romantic happiness with Kincaid don't end up together. Gail gets demoted to bored retired housewife. Dewey is actually in a good, pretty good place. I appreciated the triangle between him and Hicks and Gail. Him, Hicks, and Gail. I hope that Hicks comes back for part five. I gotta say, after revisit after the uh, after a revisit of part four, I am nervous for part five. Those filmmakers were solid. The Weinstein's are out of the picture, and hopefully, Kevin Williamson will have some sort of producing role. I'm referring to Scream Five. The filmmakers are the guys who did uh, Ready or Not, which is a really fun uh, film that came out, sort of uh, with uh, what's her name, Margot Margot Margot. No, that's not her. What's the uh, Samara Weaving? With Samara Weaving, who's kind of like the Margot, what's her name? The the Harley Quinn character. His unused Scream 3 idea that turned into the following would have been a perfect for a new trilogy. That's true. I just hope whatever happens, Sydney is left in a good place and so no matter what, I can always try my best to ignore the compulsion to keep going at the end of Scream 1, 2, and 3. Um, so originally, what's supposed to happen is Jill, Sydney's cousin, with her motives of wanting to become a famous final girl herself, steals this away by killing Sydney. Get it gets away with it. So Sydney would have died in part four, which would have been interesting, which would have been so depressing, but also super interesting and super exciting for a new trilogy in terms of where they're gonna take things. And I think Gail would have died as well. So Gail and Sydney would have died dewey would have lived and dewey would have been suspicious of jill who's now basically becomes an anti-hero in the sense that the whole trilogy scream four five and six would have centered around jill the killer trying to keep her thing you know keep her lie that she establishes in the first movie of, of of being the final girl when really she's the one who killed sydney um uh you know in place And that would have been interesting, except they killed her. They killed her in the movie at the end, and Sydney survives. And like I said, even more so, her it was such a it was such an insult to the character of Sydney Prescott. For she was just such a she she groaned her way through the film. She just didn't want to be there. You could feel it, man. You you could feel it. And I I chatted a bunch with friends about it. It was my 58th film this Halloween. Okay, I have talked a lot, and then to finish it up. I guess to go back to my initial thing, although I think I'm going to change the title of this video because it really is not about how it would end Star Wars. I just said that. And really what it's about is Scream 3 is a great ending for the Scream trilogy. We really don't need anything anymore. Um, Scream has a lot of deep stuff going on in it. Scream does share themes with both Star Wars and Game of Thrones and Kill Bill. Um, And people should give more love to scream through than it gets uh if you enjoyed this long-winded content or if there's something you'd like to see discussed on the jeff show leave a leave a comment hit the like button please subscribe to this channel these are great ways there's a bunch of ways to support the creation of this content all below thank you so much for joining me i'm exhausted from talking and i have another show to do later today uh so i will be back